Hi, everybody. This is Michelle Bonzak. I am here with my next nice guest, and I just wanted to say thanks for being here with us. Uh, this week, we have Lynn Wilcott, who is one of my nearest and dearest friends. She is my hetero life partner. She's an incredible singer and an actress, and she is the empress of gore. If you need to make something disgusting happen on a theater stage, she's your lady. And it's going to be real gross. She actually has, in fact, made people vomit for realsies. And we couldn't tell her stage vomit from the real vomit. So I am very excited to have her here with us today. She is bringing us the following awesomeness. Um, Swamp Ophelia, the Indigo Girls album. Still Life with Woodpecker, uh, the Tob Robbins wonderful book. And last but certainly not least, the really amazing 1998 film, The Red Violin. She's wonderful and a delight, and I really am excited to share this with you today. Hey, Lynn. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm very happy to be here. How are you? I am wonderful. Fantastic. I'm so excited to talk about these things with you. Mm -hmm. So let's get right into it. The first item of art that you brought us is Swamp Ophelia. It's Indigo Girls' fifth studio album. It came out in 1994. Mm -hmm. Why this album? Uh, so the Indigo Girls, for me, they came out when I was in high school. Um, their first uh, album that everyone knew, which was um, their self-titled album, came out in 1989, I believe, 88, 89. And at the time, there really wasn't anything like it. It was, you know, there weren't many women on the radio, uh, first of all. And at the time, in 1988, there was a lot of looking back to 20 years prior, which was 1968, the Summer of Love. And at the time, you know, when 1988 happened, we were, again, kind of at the end of kind of a terrible situation. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, the Reagan years were kind of destroying inner cities. Our environment was kind of going down the toilet. And there was a lot of looking back towards um, activism. And also, you know, as a, as a result, pop music was, you know, very bubbly and happy. And then these women came out and it was two women and a couple of acoustic guitars. And they were singing about being active, like ma making yourself heard in a way that hadn't been heard before. And this is obviously prior to the advent of alternative music, which, you know, a few years later, uh, Nirvana came around and then, you know, college radio started becoming alternative music and it became right. a label yeah so uh the indigo girls were kind of fit in this niche um that was you know nothing that i had really heard before in modern music and you know the fact that two women were harmonizing so beautifully with such simple instruments it just got to me and i absolutely fell in love with them so you know obviously i was you know 17 years old and they were playing at some you know outdoor festival in New Haven, Connecticut. And I'm like, I'm just going to go. And I looked at them and saw them play. And that was it. Like, I just, yep, they're my favorites forever and ever. The advent of their albums, as their, as their further albums came out, you know, the first album, two girls, two acoustic guitars. The second album, they added in some drums and some bass. And then the third album, they started adding in other voices and other instruments like some some strings and things like that and then 
When 1994 happened and Swampophilia happened, I was so in love with them, I left my office job, walked myself to Tower Records, picked up the cassette, and popped it into my Walkman, and from the first notes of the first track, I was absolutely just blown away because they had matured so much that their first song wasn't just a couple of acoustic guitars with, you know, an intro of a, of a string or, a, you know, a drum fill. They had an orchestra for their first song. And I remember walking back to my office and just being so engrossed in the music that I got lost on my way back to work. <laughs> I turned a corner. I'm like, oh, this isn't where I was supposed to be going. And... <laughs> And I knew from then on it was just going to be my absolute favorite album, just front to back. It's just, it deals with, you know, further activism, especially them fully coming out and being proud of who they are, especially in the time that, you know, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was coming around. There was a lot of backlash um, on gay rights. You know, they were still not equal. They could still be discriminated against. Well, and it was still literally 15 at least years before any sort of federal acknowledgement. Yes. Yeah. And it was still 10 years before Massachusetts by itself. There's a lot of history in their songs. Like one of their tracks, you know, deals with railroads going to Nazi camps. Oh, yes. Um, And how these stories weave back into the fight that's going right now, that was going right then at the time. And then weaved in with that as well are these incredible songs of relationships and loss and 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 feeling you know feeling out of place and not fully realizing. And then like and then in the center of this whole thing is this beautiful love song, you know, called The Power of Two. And it's very and it's very gay. But mm-hmm. it's no matter what happens, we have each other. We're going to be okay because we've created our own family. You know, these, the, these minutes of uplift and these moments of loss and this grand, grand musical adventure just makes it absolutely phenomenal. Yes. <laughs> I concur. Um, so this is one of my favorite albums by them as well. Mm-hmm. And for all the reasons that you listed, I think that for me... I really love when a song is so beautifully woven together. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big lyrics person. Yes. And so as we go through the, the album, I picked out, a, I found myself picking out a lot of different favorite lines mm-hmm. of songs. One of the things I didn't realize until we sat down to do this was that I always thought that Amy Ray was like my indigo girl. Mm-hmm. But examining the songwriting yes i'm an emily girl yeah i love me some emily like she's her her word crafting is just beautiful and no disrespect to amy because she is the shiznit as well but yeah amy amy knows how to turn a phrase and it's just again heartbreaking heartbreaking Mm -hmm. so let's get into the album and just touch on the different songs yes the Album begins with Fugitive, mm-hmm. uh, which is written by Amy Ray and is so fucking sad. 
that we we listened to the song the other day mm-hmm. as we were making Lynn's dope art gallery wall. In preparation for this, we just kind of wanted to revisit it and kind of get back in the flow for today. And we both were like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. like three seconds into the first song. Yes. I judge albums a lot by how much the first song gets to me. Because oh. if it doesn't open great... How am I how am I supposed to trust the rest of the album? Like you have one chance to make your first impression on your album. And damn girls, like Fugitive is it is urgent and it is strong and it's you know, just the the lyric that's repeated in the chorus, hide yourself for me. Mm. And the fact that either either Amy is talking about a lover or she's talking about a friend or she's talking about herself. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have to hide part of your identity to survive. Yes. And it's 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 again soaring and and then and then Emily's harmonies over the top are just absolutely gorgeous. But there is such a sense of urgency on the song. Like it is yes. a battle song. Mm-hmm. And I love that. When I was doing research, I found an interview that Amy Ray had done about the song, and mm-hmm. she was talking about how that song is about how she's try- she was trying to balance love and work and like time for herself and how she felt like she couldn't do any of it. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of was always on the run. She kind of was always hiding a part of herself or, you know, or showing one part but keeping another part hidden. Yeah. And... All of those emotions come out so beautifully mm-hmm. throughout that song. Mm-hmm. And then by the time the harmonies kick in, I'm just like, how dare you, Indigo Girls? How unfair of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then the second song is, is it Saller? How do you say Emily's last name? Sailors. Sailors. I'm glad I asked because I have never once pronounced it correctly. <laughs> then the second song is Least Complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's so filled with, like, sadness and regret. Yeah. And I just was like, ugh. I don't know if you've ever... So the Indigo Girls had a live album called 1200 Curfews. And it's lovely. And it's basically a lot of, you know, bas- you know their greatest hits up until, uh, actually, this album was the last one. So there's a little intro before they play this song. And Emily is on the mic. She's like, I was just thinking this... I was thinking about my little boyfriend in sixth grade, Danny. <laughs> and and like and then the next thing she's like he was so cute and um you know I decided I was gonna buy him a ring with my allowance and then I realized that that was not the cool thing to do mm-hmm. and literally the next thing out of her mouth she's like when well, that's just the beginning of the rest of my life and I'm like <laughs> oh girl we get oh do we all get it like yeah. for real you know and yeah least complicated is is uh you know it's their i guess hit song off the album it's the one that people are most familiar with i think off the album oh really um yeah i mean at least for me it's the one that i know people have heard yeah it's uh yeah it's again it's one of those songs that sounds real cheerful and then you're like oh no wait it's about you being humiliated yeah in a relationship that you really wanted to make work or you really Mm -hmm. wanted to begin yeah and Again, that feeling of alienation couched in this kind of bubbly rhythm behind it, yeah. you know? On one of the other episodes that we've done, my car and I were talking about Guster's Lost and Gone Forever. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for the same reasons, we love a great pop song mm-hmm. that is like, 
why did you forsake me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's actually why I suggested to him Matt Nathanson, because they all fit that mold Agreed. of yes. like, I'm going to give you a bop mm-hmm. and make you cry if you pay attention to the lyrics. Um, if, if uh, listeners, if you're on Spotify after you listen to this, there is a Spotify uh, playlist called Sad Bops. And it is absolutely wonderful. If you're feeling melancholy, but you also want to kind of dance it out on the dance floor, it's real good. <laughs> Sad bops. Sad bops. This is dope. <laughs> Great. We're all learning. Yep. And then we go into the third song is Language or the Kiss. Mm. I don't really have much to say about this one. Yeah. The, the, well, the, again, it's, it's one of Emily's um, songs. And from my perspective, I have a very clear visual that she describes. Like, there was a table set for six and five were there. I stood outside and kept my eyes upon the empty chair. And for me, it's like your family has rejected you yeah. because you have gone another way. And you are trying to reconcile between the family that you've always yep. known and the family that you want to create that makes you happy. And then there's a lyric towards the end of the song, like, I think what I wouldn't give to have the things that mean the most not to mean the things I miss. Mm. And again, it's one of those like, oh, you know, for so many people, for whatever reason, whether it's their sexuality or whether it's their religious differences or whether it's just growing up and realizing that you're not a part of where you came from. And how do you reconcile choosing to be happy versus choosing what you've always known and was comfortable with? But being that being comfortable means you have to sacrifice a part of yourself. Yeah. I think that part of the reason that I was like, "Mm, I don't really have much to say about it Mm -hmm. is actually because when I listen to it, it reminds me just how lucky and privileged I am. Mm -hmm. I've never had to go through that song mm-hmm. yeah and it's the song i connect the least with on the album mm-hmm. and that's why i think yeah i live a pretty boring life overall <laughs> and like i haven't had you know that type of dramatic experience where i've had to like make these very difficult choices yeah this song while beautiful and i enjoy it i didn't feel like i have much to add to the mm-hmm. conversation of, yeah. like most a, of the album. For the, for the most part, it's also a very solitary song. Like, there isn't a lot of harmony in there. Yes. It's just at very specific points where you hear the undertone. But for the most part, it's just, it's Emily just singing alone. Right. Mm-hmm. And it adds to the feeling of isolation. Yes, very much so. Fourth song is Reunion. Mm. Just, ugh, I love so many songs on this album. This is the Naming Ray. And my favorite lyric in this one is, I have no need for anger with intimate strangers and I've got nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. So this is the song on the album that I remember hearing first. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's a good line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it opens with the line, I had guards like watchdogs, dogs in a manger. Yes. I can feel the possession. Pose- I can feel your something, possession and anger. And, and and I rolled out of there with no one behind me. And it's, again, it's choosing your own path. And this one, again, is much more of a, it's sad, but it's also kind of celebratory. Like, it, you, you've made the decision, and you yeah. are not necessarily happy with it, but you've made it, and you, like, you've, chosen yeah. your, you've chosen your choice. But there's a pride yes. in it, in yeah. a, I'm strong because I made, because mm-hmm. I, I have made this yeah. decision. And I love, like, the little bit of Southernism in it, because mm-hmm. they're from Atlanta. You know, all you pretty pretenders and negligent vendor, vendors 
aren't you precious inside? Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, that's a bless your heart, girl. Yes, like, yes it is. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, you just told him the F off. Yeah. <laughs> In all Southern, like, yeah, girl. <laughs> you hit it in sweetness. Mm-hmm. Yep. You couch it in some pecan pie and be like, oh, yeah, honey. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth song on the album is Power of Two. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite songs of all time from yep. them. It, it is a, if you've ever been to an Indigo Girl show, it is a crowd favorite. Yes. The audiences love that one with good reason. Yes. Again, it's a straight up love and companionship song. And mm-hmm. it's, again, it's super gay and it's, it's lovely. It's the demonstration of love in defiance of tradition. Yes. It's funny because I didn't know, I was like, 15 or 16 and very dumb when I first found Indigo Girls. So when I first heard the song, I was like, I didn't even know that they were gay. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't cross my mind to even think about mm-hmm. it. It wasn't until years later that I was like, oh, <laughs> because I, yeah, I personally have never once cared who somebody is making out with. Right. Unless it's me. If it's going to be me, like, ooh, I care again. But, like, <laughs> if I can't make out with you, uh, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me. But so I'd never even thought about it. So coming back around to this song, I, I mean, it's very clearly. <laughs> but I, I love that I didn't know that mm-hmm. going in. Yeah. Because it reminds us again, just we're not very different from yeah. each other. Like, love is universal. Yes. And who you choose to love is both personal and political at times. Yes. And loving who you love in spite of what other people think. Yes. Is is a very loving and political act. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a wonderful thing when you've found your person and no matter what like it's you guys like you got it. You two are going to do your thing. It's the ultimate ride or die love yes. song and yeah. I adore it for that Mm -hmm. one of my favorite lines is i'm stronger than the monster beneath your bed smarter than the tricks played on your heart and Mm -hmm. i'm like oh yeah yes yes because the idea of having someone there in your darkest moments yes Mm -hmm. to just be beside you Mm -hmm. and that's enough because there's power there Mm -hmm. It's just such a lovely and beautiful sentiment to me. Yep. And is what we all should hope for mm-hmm. in a partner. Yeah. Yeah. You want somebody who, when they see you at your ugliest, tells you, we're going to be fine. Like, you're going to be fine because we're fine. Yeah. You know, and it's that it's that whole, like, you know, if, if you look at traditional wedding vows, better, worse, richer, poorer, sickness, health, it is, again, universal. You want to be with someone who is going to see you at your worst, not be like, peace out, I'm out. Like, yeah, sorry. You know, who's going to be there at your lowest so they can celebrate you at your highest together. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting that you bring up wedding vows because uh, we're going to talk about Todd Robbins's Still Life with Woodpecker, mm-hmm. which means we're going to have to talk about your tattoo. Yes. And it's... One of my favorite things about the idea of if you ever get married. Anywho, <laughs> that's, a foresha- a <laughs> yeah, that's a foreshadowing note. The sixth song is Touch Me Fall. Mm-hmm. It is so different yes. than the rest of the whole album. Mm-hmm. But especially it's this huge change from the first half. Yeah. And sadly, I think it's 
my least favorite song. It, it is also my least favorite song. Back in the cassette days, listener, when people used to listen to albums on cassettes, this was the last song on side one. And it was such a dramatic shift from everything else. It's electric. It's, you know, it's hard driving. It changes themes and tempos and it's like three it's, songs in one yeah it's it's really a, an, an orchestral movement more than it is just one song personally i find it a little hard to follow um just because it it jumps themes for me a lot but that said like still boss it's a gorgeous <laughs> song yeah what i love about the indigo girls is that they do what they do they do so simply and beautifully mm-hmm. and cleanly mm-hmm. and it's a little too much for me yeah it's yeah. It's it. I, they were trying something. Yeah, they're trying something different. And in an album where they did a lot different, that yeah. worked beautifully. And this one, like, uh, it kind of fell a little bit to the wayside for me. Yeah, <laughs> this is very strange. But a few years ago, for Restaurant Week, we went to Henrietta's table, mm-hmm. and we got this salad, and it was like baby spinach, and then fresh berries, mm-hmm. and some goat cheese, and it was in this like simple light dressing, and it was the most delicious thing I've ever put in my mouth. Indeed, and it was so refreshing and delicious, and basic ingredients like I have recreated that salad. Mm-hmm. Dear listener, I do not cook well. I don't like it. I'm not real good at it but she knows how to put together a salad. But I put together a dope as fuck salad <laughs> that I stole from Henrietta's table. Mm-hmm. It's what I, it's the same thing for me. Yes. Beautiful and simple mm-hmm. just gets me like at my core yep. across music and salads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle cut that out. <laughs> so If that song is the end of the first side Mm -hmm. of the tape, the second side begins with, oh, my favorite song on the album. My absolute favorite song on the album. And maybe one of my top five all-time Indigo Girls songs. Yeah, you're not wrong in that. The Wood song. Oh, girl. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Let's just start out again. This song is constructed very simply. Mm -hmm. It starts out with just one single violin. Mm-hmm. It's one violin, and then it's the violin cuts out, and then it's just two guitars, and then Emily starts in with a very simple melody, and it is about, again, surviving the really, really tough times with your group of people. Mm-hmm. And there's no allegory, like, it is, you know, yeah. the thin horizon of a plan is almost clear. My friends and I have had a rough time. The thing that I love about this is that it starts out so simply, and it is almost like going through very steadily through a storm like the the song itself gets a little rougher as we go and then in the middle of it there's a key change and it slows down again and it gets very simple again you're like oh we've reached did we reach the end of the storm not quite. No. And what I love most about the song is that it doesn't give you a resolution. It doesn't say we're all going to be great at the end. It's, you know, the, the craft that we're in um, may, not, may not make it through, but we have to because there's no other alternative. And, and then also the lyric, but if the weather holds, we'll have missed the point. Like, if everything's easy and everything's wonderful and we don't go through those trying times, how do we know who our real friends are? And who we are. And who we are as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, I listened to this song, boy, a thousand times when I got this album because the harmonies in the first chorus are so difficult. Yeah. They hurt my brain 
for months, years. And when I finally cracked it, it was like, ah! like it was the greatest thing. And I'm like, I'm sorry. How was it like? Ah! Yeah. Great. Um, actually it was like, and the wood is tired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's, it's, Oh, like there's a similar song off of um, their self-titled album, the one that has Closer to Fine on it, mm-hmm. called Lover's Recovery, yeah. which is kind of in the similar vein, but it resolves more nicely. Mm-hmm. And this one's like, you know what? We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, we have no idea how long the storm is going to last and what it's going to bring, but we have the opportunity to ride through it. Mm-hmm. And we have the privilege to ride through it together. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen at the end. We have to go through this. We have to go through it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, a beautiful song and it's devastating and it's uplifting and it's, oh, it is just gorgeous. It makes you feel all possible things Mm -hmm. as you go through the song. Yeah. Then leads you thinking about the song, Mm -hmm. which is the mark of a great one for me. Yeah. Interesting side note. Mm -hmm. What a fucking slap in the face was it that... In 1989, they lost the Best New Artist Grammy to fucking Millie Vanilli. (laughs) It is true. Yeah, it's, you know what? Everyone has their issue with the Grammys, and a lot of it has to do with record sales and, you know, play on at that point, very new MTV. MTV had only been out for like eight years at that point. And you know, Millie Vanilli were pretty on screen. Their pop sensibility or their producer's pop sensibility, pop sensibility was on point. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was only after the fact that the scandal came out and... Oh yeah. At the time, I don't think people realized just how much of a slap in the face it was. Right. Indeed. Indeed. But history has taught us, oh, Nelly, that yeah. one didn't yeah. land well overall. Right. And there, I mean, and there have been some glaring things... In the, in the history of the Grammys, I, I, most music people know, like, the very first heavy metal award, instead of someone like Metallica or another actual metal band, uh, the award went to Jethro Tull. What? Yeah. Yep. The first, the very first heavy metal Grammy went to Jethro Tull. How could they say it with a straight face? Uh, you know what? Who knows? But, <laughs> again, so the Grammys, uh, you know, they, they've had some missteps over time. <laughs> What's up with award shows? Just, like being so weirdly off balance mm, mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes yeah. they crush it and are great yep but then i'm like really that one yeah i mean we can you know we can talk about uh you know about the current uh, oscar season and the fact that you it's know it's complete trash and that it's absolute trash <laughs> and you know that the most uh, <laughs> successful and critically acclaimed films were directed by women and they received no love from oh, yeah. the if you Academy. Had, if you had a vagina and also were a director, no love for no you. No love for you. But boy, oh boy, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anywho, back to the album. Anyway, back to the album. Eighth song, Mystery. Yes. I also love this one. I do too. I feel very silly. So Lynn makes fun of me a lot of the time uh, for various and sundry reasons, like you do with someone that you're as close to as we are. But a few years ago, I made a playlist on Spotify, and it's like my top 50 favorite songs. And she's already laughing because she knows how much she makes fun of me about it. But so whenever we'd go driving, 
whenever a new song started, I'd be like, oh, I love this song. Genuinely forgetting that we were listening to a playlist that was titled my favorite. It's actually titled my 40 favorite songs and it's 50 songs. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at math. But every song, I was like, oh, I love this song. Right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be on your top 50 Correct. favorites list. Yeah, but I feel the same way about this. <laughs> like, as we're going through these, I'm like, oh, no, I just keep being I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Because mm-hmm. I love this album. Anywho, this song is all about opposites attracting. Mm-hmm. And my favorite line from this one is, but you like the taste of danger. It shines like sugar on your lips. Mm, indeed. First of all, this song is in 3-4. You know how I love me a waltz. And Respect. The, I take this song a little bit more tragically than you do. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, again, surprising to no one, Michelle and I have different ideas on romance. And Which is hilarious, because Lynn has a boyfriend, <laughs> and I'm dying alone. <laughs> so this song, to me, is, for me, it's like you, when you are not necessarily obsessed, but you're infatuated with someone who doesn't care as much for you. And and there, there's another song, which we'll talk about further on the album, which is which is much clearer, but... This one is, it's a little wistful, um, and and it kind of captures the way you feel that you think that person feels for you. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you're kind of ascribing your feelings of attraction to someone who doesn't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the, like, it, it for me, it, it's, it reminds me of, like, that time when you're young. And the se- it's the summer before your senior year of high school. And you have this wonderful human that, you know, comes over and the hours that you spend together are great. And then when they leave, you're like, I need to see them again right now. And I'm, and I'm going, like, I can go crazy on a night like tonight. And it's, it's one of those, like, no, I know you're going to be bad for me eventually, but boy, this feeling is so good that I want to hang on to it for as long as I possibly can. Yeah, it's funny because in a lot of ways we see the song very similarly mm-hmm. and then our outcomes are the yes. part that is different. <laughs> I kind of don't care. I think that the song knows that this is a, a moment in time together mm-hmm. and we're not the be-all and end-all for each other. Mm-hmm. We're, we're probably actually a terrible match mm-hmm. in the long run. But like, ooh, this is exciting but right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is very much the like, oh, your person right now mm-hmm. not forever person yes. and that has its place in time as well and not beating yourself up over it or mm-hmm. uh regretting that time mm-hmm. i think is actually really lovely and valuable mm-hmm. um and kind of being able to look back at it and be like yeah that was a moment of really exciting new love mm-hmm. and who cares that you both went away to college and you never spoke again. Right, right. Like, that summer was so fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you learned so much about yourself that mm-hmm. you're taking with you. And what you get from it in the long run is right. what matters. Yeah. There is one lyric in there that I absolutely love. And it's, there are a thousand things you would die for. I can hardly think of two. Mm. And it's one of those, like, yeah, we're not, it's not going to work. But right now it works. And, oh, gosh, I really want it to work just, just for the next month and a half yeah you know yeah. and then i'm gonna Six get weeks. my life together and then 
yeah. and then I'll see you at the reunion. Yeah. <laughs> or probably not, because I'm going to ditch it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I also love, what I love about that line, too, is that I personally find someone who is passionate to be very sexy. Mm-hmm. And so I very much connected with the song because it's been a remarkable part of my mm-hmm. dating life. And the idea of somebody who is so passionate, who would who who would throw themselves on, on a grenade for a cause mm-hmm. and is so dedicated to feeling something I think is very attractive mm-hmm. and I'm like oh yeah that but also like what you realize when you take a step back is you're like oh if you care that deeply for all those things mm-hmm. at most I can be one of those other things that yeah. you care about deeply but you can't give me there's also what I need. you know the that that you know that person who's so passionate about things and causes and and all of those outside things but at the same time they're not texting you back yeah you know because they care about all these things but they can't devote that same same kind of energy to being in a relationship Mm -hmm. with you um and the fact that you know if if you you know again it's it's the it's the obsession and the infatuation but it's not real right and you know and again have fun with it. And everyone, everyone's got like, you know, the guy they met on vacation or, you know, the girl that, you know, they fet, met in a cafe backpacking through Europe or, you know, like that. The guy you spent a summer hanging out with, even though he was complete trash. Exactly. You know, like just, <laughs> it's, it's one of those, <laughs> it's more of a situational relationship than a, an emotional relationship. You know, like it's couched in like, oh, this is everything else that was going on at the time yeah. that made this particular summer wonderful. Right. And But then when you come down to it, you're like, oh, no, that guy was trash, but oh, my God, I had so much fun yeah. doing everything else right. that he happened to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea we were going to talk that much about mystery. <laughs> but um, I'm very into it. Ninth song, Dead Man's Hill. Ooh. Mm. This is a rough one for yeah. me. Uh, this is Amy Gray's song, and it was inspired by a memory she had of being young and seeing high school boys lighting cats on fire yeah. after throwing gasoline on them. Mm-hmm. And she said it was her first exposure to real evil. Mm. And because it was such a part of her childhood, such a, a deep memory for her, she actually had her dad sing on this track. Yeah. Which I think is really wonderful mm-hmm. uh even though the the song is so sad and yeah. gut-wrenching and i love i love her dad's voice in this too mm-hmm. his voice is so you can tell the timber of their voices and how the genetic line has gone through like his voice is very similar to hers even though yeah. obviously his is much older and 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 uh, you know male versus female um but uh yeah he just that the one little part where he just sings talk to me face to face and it's so rich, but it's kind of hidden underneath. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great addition to the song, which is a tragedy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this song is very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of not being able to say what you need to mm-hmm. say because it's too horrible. Yeah. I want to move on. Yeah. Because it, <laughs> it makes me so sad. Yes. Um, although... Spoiler alert, we're coming to more sad. Yep, we're coming to super sad. Yeah. The end of this album is not a feel-good piece, oh, gosh, dear no. listener. <laughs> <laughs> so the 10th track is Fare Thee Well. Yes. Which I believe is the song that you were connecting with Mystery. Is yes. That, yeah. Yes. Yeah, your last dramatic scene against a night sky stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
Yes. The way that she weaves this terrible breakup together Mm -hmm. is just so gut-wrenching. Yeah. So as much as the, the infatuation is a mystery, this is, I feel like this song is almost the companion piece. Like when you have, when, when your fun summer is ending and you're gaining perspective, whether it's after a series of terrible similar relationships, uh, this one for me is like I fell in love with a narcissist and it almost killed me. Yes. And uh, yeah, and, and it's just, it, the fact that it's it's an absolute lullaby yeah you know, it's you, this beautiful it's like you're singing, quiet yeah. song it's like you're singing to your child yes to put them to bed mm-hmm. um but you are putting your broken heart away yes because you don't know if you can do this again mm-hmm. like for me it's one of those i i i connect really strongly with this song because i just Same. feel that it's um you know it's the the feeling for me is like I'm picking up my broken heart yet again. Yes. And I should have been older. I should have known better. Yeah. Um, you know, again, the, the lyrics are so beautiful. Now I think of having loved and having lost. You never know what it's like to never love. And it's that turn of phrase where like, yeah, like, like normally it's the other way around. But right. like, what if I just never did it? Yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't I be put together better? Yeah. But yeah, and then you know the the similarities to the change of seasons, mm-hmm. um, the fact that summer is you know especially again being from the south, uh, the summers are very hot, very humid. You know, and the fact that the end of the song when she sings, "This strange season of pain will come to pass when the healing hands of autumn cool me down," mm-hmm. and. For me, that lyric hits so hard because, like, after you've gone so hard chasing that love that will never love you back because they only love themselves and they've just nearly destroyed you in the process, yes. you just have to wait for the season to be over and and put yourself back together again because it's, you know what, that heat is going to go away and it's going to be fall and it's going to change and you're going to change and grow and it's going to hurt and you're going to but you're going to be put away for a while and then we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. Like we'll see what happens at the next relationship and if I'm even going to guard my heart better or if I'm just going to hop into something else again. Yep. Knowing full well now that it could be yet another mm-hmm. throw my heart into the pit of fire. Right. You know, do you take the chance or do you not? Mm-hmm. And that the lullaby is like do you I'm going to put it to bed and in the morning and next season, I'll think about it again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. My therapist and I talk a lot about how I keep dating the same guy. He just has a different name, Mm -hmm. which is why I connect so well with this Mm -hmm. song. Yeah. It's not a good thing. (laughs) But I love the idea of being gentle with yourself. Yes. And knowing that like you are going to get through this Mm -hmm. and this is a a sad time and it's okay to be sad Mm -hmm. and it's okay if you're crying yourself to sleep that night Mm -hmm. but like tomorrow is a new day Mm -hmm. and like it will be better at some point i connect this a lot with the wood song Mm -hmm. because of that idea of like i'm going through this and it's probably gonna suck a lot but i do have my people Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And that's where, again, I feel very lucky in that, unlike this song where it is very um, isolated Mm -hmm. and quiet and alone, 
it's only like that at, for the night. Yeah. In the morning, we're, we're back in the wood mm-hmm. going through that storm mm-hmm. together because I do have those amazing people in my life. So I, co- I connect it as much with mystery. I, I connect it with the wood, I think, mm-hmm. even more personally. Yeah. And then the last song on the album. Ooh, Nelly. Oh, boy. Yeah, this one is... Whew. Amy Ray went through some shit on this mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because I think that her songs on the album are more outward facing. Mm-hmm. And I think that Emily's are much more inward yes. facing mm-hmm. for this particular. And, and it obviously it changes on different mm-hmm. albums and stuff. But this train revisited, she actually said was she was really scared and nervous about putting the song on the album because of the content. Sure. So it's about, it's it, the song at its core is talking about the trains to concentration camps and how homosexuals were put on mm-hmm. were, were were being killed and the treatment of and, and honoring the memory of that group of people mm-hmm. in addition to uh, what we normally think of when we think of the Holocaust yeah. which is Jews just sheer volume yeah it's yeah the the, the lyric you know gypsies queers and David stars yeah um, and the fact that in in the Nazis' quest for purity, anyone who is an outsider was unworthy mm-hmm. to live, yeah. and that included queer folks, and that included travelers, the Roma, anyone who was outside of whatever he was trying. So for this song, I just finished teaching the book Night by mm-hmm. Ellie Wiesel. Mm-hmm. So this song broke me even more than it would at other times of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has at other times because there's a line about how many people are in the cattle cars. And in Night, they talk about how at the beginning of when they, when they leave the ghettos that they are put in in their town in Syed, they put 100 people per car. And they're so packed in that people can't all sit down at the same time. And they're, you know, the conditions are just awful and terrible. And then later, when they are transferring prisoners from one camp to another, sorry, they put 80 people in that first car. Mm -hmm. And then they put 100 grown men Mm -hmm. in this second car, because it's a year later, and they are all so emaciated and broken Mm -hmm. that they can physically fit 20 more grown men. Yeah, that 20 80, more bodies. Right, yeah. that 80 people in that car were men, women, and children. Mm-hmm. And so just that stark difference of like the way that people were treated mm-hmm. is just so terrible and gut-wrenching and mm-hmm. just awful. And I'm, but it's such a powerful and I think important song. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the, there, again, this, this song has, uh, no allegory. There's no, uh, there's no hidden meaning in this song. It is accusatory and it is in strong and it is probably as close to punk rock as, yes. as the Indigo Girls get. Mm-hmm. Um, they just call it out yes. immediately and it's, in the middle, you know, there is a really great uh, string section where I actually, I, I have trouble even reciting the lyrics, but it explains what happens to these people on these trains. And there is a great, just a jagged violin in between. And it's, you know, and it concludes with, do you belong to the human race? And it is not towards the characters, not towards the subjects of the people on the train. It is, they are saying it straight to the folks who believed that this was okay. Right. And 
who allowed this to happen. And again, yeah, and because it, you know, it wasn't one person, it was a number of people, and it was mm-hmm. thousands of who believed that even if it was, you know, again, you know, I was following orders or, you know, this is this is what I had to do. You have to cut a part of yourself out mm-hmm. to believe that another human doesn't deserve to exist. Yep. And just the the savagery, it's unbelievable. And yeah, I, I do love this song for just putting it straight out there. Yeah. You know, no, no niceties, no nothing. It is... It is just, yeah, it's devastating. Yeah. When I'm teaching night, we talk a lot about how someone could do this to someone else. And there's a part in the movie uh, Swing Kids Mm -hmm. where it shows the Hitler youth in their training. Mm -hmm. And they're in like this like lecture hall and they're showing a, a propaganda video. And the propaganda video is hundreds of rats coming up through a sewer mm-hmm. and they're talking about Jewish people yes. and they're equating them together. Mm-hmm. And my students who I know people talk a lot about kids in in that, like, you know, they're always on their phones and, you know, they're disconnected and stuff. My students had the most incredible conversation mm-hmm. equating propaganda mm-hmm. films for the Nazis so that they could do what they've, they did to people. Mm-hmm. With cyberbullying. Yes. We had this amazing talk about how when you are, and this is a few, like two years ago, so this it was even earlier than, I feel like uh, there are so many trolls everywhere mm-hmm. on the internet oh, now. Oh, dear but, God, yes. But the idea of like, you become faceless, and so you can disconnect yourself, mm-hmm. and you aren't culpable yep. in the same way as if you're doing it to a person face to face. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and the fact that large groups of people who all have the same belief feel that if they all are doing it, it's not you against me. It's this group versus this group. Right. Like for those, again, listeners, if you are the type of person to be like kids are always on their phones and blah, blah, blah. I suggest you listen to a kid, especially teenagers these days. The kids are all right. Yeah. Let's be serious. They are smarter and more savvy than we ever were because they have to be. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're also still pains in the booty. Of course they are. Because, because they're teenagers. Right. Well, more importantly, because we're adults and we don't trust them. Well, but also <laughs> every teenager yeah. is a pain in the butt. Oh, it's yeah. the definition of being a teen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Teenagers are a pain in the ass, but... They are also really on the ball and to just dismiss them out of hand for using technology to stay connected and to find jobs, to read the news, you know, and, and the thing that, the thing that gets me so most, so so terribly now, um, like my older relatives who keep posting this crap on Facebook about how nobody's learning cursive anymore. And I know this is a super aside, but... (laughs) Um, and like <laughs> nobody knows how to tell the time on a clock anymore. Yeah. And at, I just really want to be like, you didn't decide to learn how to ride a horse and buggy. Like technology is is passing you by. There's but also no... you got a Facebook account three months ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't blame the younger folks for not learning something that has no reason for them. Yeah. Like, I will quick say, mm-hmm. I do believe that cursive belongs in the curriculum still mm-hmm. because so many important works of the past are written in cursive mm-hmm. and they, if you want first documentation, mm-hmm. uh, it's important. Yeah. 
Well, so you can read it. Well, at the same time, are we forcing kids to learn cuneiform or hieroglyphics or whatever other ancient languages there are? I'm going to put it into the curriculum that we're going back and doing hieroglyphics. Yeah, girl. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if if it's, if there are so many things that kids... Although, isn't that what emojis are? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. we, we're doing it, baby. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, at, at the same time, they disparage like, oh, these kids don't know how to write in complete sentences. They're using emojis and this and that and the other. This is their language. And yes. you're being left behind, boomer. Accept it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> stay home with the cursive. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Why do you hate cursive so much? I don't hate it. I think it's beautiful, but I just don't think it's useful. Like, I don't, I don't believe that hanging on to cursive writing means that our society is saved. Oh, no. And that's what they're ascribing it to. It's that yeah. same thing like, oh, if th- things are so much better when kids wrote in cursive. Like, no, it, they were, it wasn't. Yeah. Things were terrible. Yeah. Kids type now and they're smarter. Yeah. So, and faster. So, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> also, when cursive was like a really big thing, people, people died at 24. With, yeah. People were writing with quills and shit. Right. Like, <laughs> so. Oh. Anyway. Don't get me started on how much I want to bring back quills. (laughs) That was dumb. So my only other question for you, I think we've we've covered a lot. Yes, we have. Anything else that you want to talk about regarding the Indigo Girls? I I mean, I think that they're wonderful and amazing. I I was lucky enough to meet them once, and Mm -hmm. they were just so kind and lovely mm-hmm. i was working um at a nonprofit shout out kj called rock for remedy and we were doing uh, raising money for f- the food banks not only did the women give us a whole bunch of signed merch mm-hmm. to like raffle off yep. at the end of their show they also were like and make sure on your way out if you have any money left over after you bought your drinks tonight, mm-hmm. give it to the ladies at the entrance. And literally, we didn't have enough bucket space yeah. for how wonderful and kind uh, everybody yeah. was. Not only are the Indigo Girls wonderful, their fans are phenomenal. They're um, the sweetest, kindest they are people. absolutely fantastic. I have t- I have two Indigo Girls stories that yeah. are my faves. The first one was probably, actually, probably around this album. And they were playing at, um, her new girls were playing at Harbor Lights, I believe. And... I didn't have enough money to get a ticket. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to walk down to Harbor Lights. I know what they look like. I can stand outside and listen to the show. And it's going to be great. And so kind of sitting outside, just hanging out, blah, blah, blah. And these women walked by and they're just like, do you have a ticket to the show? And I'm like, no, I'm just going to hang out here and listen. She's like, here. She's like, we have an extra ticket. I'm like, really? These ladies gave me like a 10th row center ticket because they're like, they just we just had an extra. We don't want to sell it. Yeah. We'd rather give it to you because you are going to enjoy it. I'm like... That's wonderful. And it's that, and it was no nonsense. They're just like, here, just take it. Yep. You know, not like buy me a drink or do something and blah, blah, blah. They're like, nope, we have an extra. You need one. Hey, here you go. Right. You're the person here who clearly is most excited about this show. Yeah. Because you're willing to sit outside of it. Yes. And they were lovely. We hung out all night. We had a great time. And then, uh, yeah. And then it was just, just fantastic. And then the other thing about the Indigo Girls activism, um, which is... Not only global, but also very local. Yeah. And they are really good about walking the walk. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this was a few years ago. And uh, a friend of mine who lives in Atlanta, she called me up and she's like, you have to come down because my friend's band is opening up for the Indigo Girls for this fundraiser for the local library in like Helen, Georgia. So... I went down for the weekend and we, uh, Helen is in North Georgia. If you've ever been to Helen, 
It is a very, very strange place. It is a recreation of a German Oktoberfest town. Like there's Lederhosen and beer halls and the architecture is super strange. If you've ever seen the television show Atlanta, there is an episode in season two called Helen, which it's absolutely amazing. It's, it is the weirdest place, but we had so much fun. But then the Indigo Girls are playing a fundraiser literally for the local library of this town. And the show is in the baseball field out in the outskirts of town. There is a stage about 20 by 15. It's a small stage and it was like $10 to get in. And you just, and it was a two day festival and like they kind of slap the wristband on you and they're like, we're going to leave it loose. So if you want to give it to somebody for tomorrow's show, if you're not going to be here, you're like, yeah, okay. And the Indigo Girls played for two hours on a baseball field. For a library. For a library. Yeah. And they played just like they were playing in front of thousands and thousands of people. It was the same show, the same enthusiasm, and the fact that their activism and the fact that they use their names and their talents for global initiatives as well as local fundraising is really just fantastic. And it just speaks to the fact that they take everything to heart and personally and whatever they can do to help they will do that because they care enough and want to yeah Yeah. they're not they're not too big to sing in a baseball field yep you know because it will help their local community Mm -hmm. and i love that i love that a lot Mm -hmm. actually yeah yeah they're amazing Mm -hmm. great well let's move on yeah hello everyone this episode was so incredibly fun but also We got really into things, and so the episode is very long. We decided that we were going to split the episode in two. So sadly, you'll have to wait a little bit longer to get my recommendations back to Lynn, as well as our conversations about Still Life with Woodpecker and the Red Violin. But I hope that you loved our discussion about Swampophilia. Even though Lynn is one of my best friends, we have never had a conversation like that before. And it was really wonderful and special and beautiful to me. And I'm so excited that I get to now share it with all of you. If you liked the episode, please uh, subscribe and give me a five-star rating. That would be super duper awesome. And also, please tell your friends if you enjoyed these conversations. It brings me a lot of joy in my heart to share all of these cool people who love cool things with all of you. And if you like it, I'd love for you to help me spread the word. Other than that, I'd like to wrap things up tonight with thanking Rudy Sims, as always, for his senior moth track that is the underlay of our theme song kate hardley for doing our incredible sound engineering for our theme song and lisa cordner for our wonderful cover art thank you so much i'll see you soon bye-bye